eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yelton. We have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. deep. Diving deep into all things Texas. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General. Sean McClain. Welcome. Welcome to Utopia. Hey, everybody. Welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast. First episode of the week. Apologies for no episode last Thursday. Wi-Fi on Radio Row got us. Um... But uh, obviously, we are post-Super Bowl now. The week in Vegas is over. Back in Houston, as you can see in the background, and ready to talk some Texans football and NFL football with you. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast Sports Radio 610, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. on uh, Monday through Friday mornings. You can get us on the Odyssey app, where you're probably listening to this podcast as well. So while you're embedded in the podcast, why don't you go subscribe to Payne and Pendergast as well. Um so we are heading into the officially into the offseason now, and we definitely have some things we need to get into from a Texan standpoint, some things to clean up or cover from Las Vegas and Radio Row and the Super Bowl, as well as we will get to possible schedule ramifications for the Texans based on what happened in the Super Bowl that could be pretty fun. We've got a mailbag coming up today as well. We do a mailbag every Tuesday on the podcast, H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com is where you can uh, send us emails and appreciate all of you continuing to send questions in, even in the off season. We've got a few good ones today for you. H O U mailbag at gmail.com. So I guess let's start with just some final thoughts from radio row in Las Vegas, uh, both Texans related and generally Super Bowl in Vegas related. I'm not going to do too deep a dive on setting the scene out in Vegas. Cause I, I think by and large that would make people angry and jealous that I was in Vegas and you weren't, and I don't need to do that. Just safe to say that, uh, that Vegas did an amazing job hosting the Super Bowl. If they do it again. <clears throat> and even if you don't have tickets to the game, I would recommend going out there for the Super Bowl because even with the Super Bowl out there, I know Vegas is a popular destination for the Super Bowl, even when it's not there, 
the game was there and the city still easily accommodated everything. There were not, uh, I mean, there were crowds and pockets and things like that, but it was no different than any normal week or weekend in Vegas in terms of getting around. <clears throat> I was there till Sunday morning from Sunday afternoon, the week before the game to Sunday morning of the game. I did not go to the game. I was on my couch five hours before kickoff and, uh, and, and watch the entire thing. But, um, but thumbs up on Vegas. They did an incredible job. And if at some point the NFL announced that we're going to do all of our Super Bowls in Las Vegas, um, I think it would be a great decision. There's, uh, there's enough to do for everybody out there. There's something for everybody out there. It's easy to get to, obviously. Plenty of planes going in and out of Vegas. So great job by Vegas. As far as some of the things that, that uh, like fallout is probably not the right word, but just Texans-related things that happened in Vegas that are worth touching upon that I haven't been able to get my thoughts on the podcast on yet. To me, the biggest thing was Thursday night, um, Andre Johnson getting into the Hall of Fame, C.J. Stroud getting Offensive Rookie of the Year, Will Anderson getting Defensive Rookie of the Year, D'Amico Ryans literally coming within one vote, one first-place vote of winning Coach of the Year. I don't know if you guys saw that, but he tied, D'Amico tied for the with total points for the voting with Kevin Stefanski, and Stefanski won based on having one more first-place vote than D'Amico. So I think it's safe to say that in the Coach of the Year race, it probably came down to that Week 16 game against the Browns at NRG Stadium that the Browns came in and destroyed the Texans with no C.J. Stroud on the field for the Texans that day. I, I, think, I think it's safe to assume that that game may have flipped the vote of a few people, and that was enough to get it for Kevin Stefanski. I think D'Amico Ryans is wildly deserving of the award. I'm disappointed he didn't get it only because that would have made what, in my opinion, was the greatest night in the history of the team an even better night. And I know that that, that opinion was met with some resistance by some folks. It was met with some approval by a lot of folks. Um, but I, I honestly feel that, that that night, and I'll get into my thoughts on Andre Johnson making the Hall of Fame in just a second. But when you have the franchises, let me back up. When you have a franchise where the furthest they've gone in the playoffs in 21 years, or what year, how many years are we in now? 20, it'll be 22 seasons. The furthest they made it is the, is the divisional round. They've had a total of, I think, five seasons with double-digit wins in 22 seasons, and they haven't come close to a Super Bowl, although I think they're on the right track to get to one, then I don't think it's crazy to say that the greatest night in the history of the team was the, the night where the past, Andre Johnson, the greatest icon along with J.J. Watt in the history of the franchise, goes into the Hall of Fame, gets announced for the Hall of Fame, the first true Houston Texan to enter the Hall of Fame. Sorry, I don't count Ed Reed, who played five games for the Houston Texans. He doesn't count. Um, the first true Houston Texan to go in, and that happens on the same night where the quarterback you drafted last April and the defensive end you traded up for last April win their Rookie of the Year honors on their respective sides of the ball all on the same night. And what that represents, Andre Johnson, the homage to the past, and now C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson, I think building off of what may have been the previous greatest night in Texans history, the night the two of them got drafted, to now them winning offensive and defensive rookie of the year. And not like last season, like the Jets, because the Jets did that last season. People have been asking me, oh, is that, has that ever happened before? Yeah, it happened last year. Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner were offensive and defensive rookie of the year for the Jets. They didn't make the playoffs. 
this is a team, the Texans, they got those two Rookie of the Year awards within the context of, of extreme improvement from the year before. The Jets were improved, but they were quarterbacked by Zach Wilson. How much, impro- how much more improved can you be? So I, I, I contend it's the greatest night in the history of the franchise. I know there's some people that feel like it's got to be something on the field for it to be the greatest night. Um, but my feeling is just I can't think of a night where I felt more proud to be a Texan fan <clears throat> than the night Andre Johnson went into the Hall of Fame and the night that C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson won their Rookie of the Year awards. And I don't think these are going to be flash-in-the-pan Rookie of the Year awards either. I think these are going to be two guys that build on their Rookie of the Year awards. I think C.J. Stroud, if he's not already, is going to be a top-five quarterback in the league. And I think Will Anderson is hell-bent on becoming a guy who's a routine 12-15 to 15 sack guy. Guy that you can have on the field all three downs. You know, he's, he, he's tremendous against the run, all that. Um, so I, I think that was, that was a great night. Um, as far as Andre going into the hall of fame, I was mildly surprised. And as you guys know, my former co-host on this podcast, John McClain is one of the selectors and he's the presenter for Andre Johnson for the hall of fame. He's the one that did the Andre Johnson presentation each year, each of these three years, he's tried to get him in there. Um, I was mildly surprised only because Reggie Wayne and Tory Holt, have been a finalist each of these three years, and they've been on the ballot longer. It's the case of Torrey Holt, much longer than Andre Johnson. There was always this feeling when John McClain would lay out kind of how the room went the first two years that Andre was on the ballot, and he was a finalist both of those years. There was always, it seemed to me, there was always this feeling that, well, we got to clear out this wide receiver log jam, and that it was going to be more based on how long somebody had been on the ballot as opposed to how great a player they are. There's no doubt all three, Holt, Wayne, and Andre Johnson are great players. I personally think Andre is the greatest of the three, um, and so did the Hall of Fame voters. But I was always concerned that the logjam to clear there with wide receivers is going to be like when you go to the deli and you take a number, and Reggie Wayne had number 38, Torrey Holt had number 42, and Andre Johnson had number 50 or something like that. You know, like it's like, okay, it's time for Reggie Wayne. Where's number 38? And Reggie Wayne's waving his ticket, and he's like, I'll take some – Black Forest ham and some American cheese and a Hall of Fame induction. So I, I always thought it was going to be kind of like that. Um, so I was mildly surprised Andre got in. Uh, I love the fact that he leapfrogged over both those guys. That's really encouraging for me as far as the committee goes, that they didn't do just, hey, this guy's been here longer. So I think that was really cool. But I think it says a lot about the greatness of Andre Johnson, that he was so good at that position that he jumped over those guys who had been on the ballot for so many years. I think that's number one. Um, Number two, I I think it's a good thing Andre gets in now because there's going to be more and more wide receivers getting on the ballot in future years that have big numbers because of the direction the league continues to go. Obviously, it became a passing league ahead of a running league a long, long time ago. You know, there was when I was a kid. Um, I remember when I was when I was a kid watching football in the early 80s, Dan Fouts threw for 4,000 yards in a season, and he he and Joe Namath were the only two who had ever done it. You know, now 4,000 is kind of the benchmark for being above average. Um, so you get, you know, you get a dozen guys every year throwing for 4,000 yards. Now, that's the direction the league's going. It continues to be more and more of a passing league. Wide receivers, marquee wide receivers, continue to be force-fed the ball. Like, I think we've, if you look at teams now, quarterback is number one. But I think a lot of teams view the most important, second most important position as number one wide receiver. And I think you can see that from the trades 
couple of years ago for Tyreek Hill, um, the trade for Devontae Adams, you know, trade AJ Brown in Philadelphia, trades like that. Um, if there's any sort of hiccups with some of the wide receivers in these next couple of years, maybe we see that again with Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson. I think it'd be crazy. I don't think it happens. I think those guys are going to get killer contracts. But again, even the sheer volume, the sheer dollars in those contracts shows how important that position is. And I think guys like that are going to start to have some crazy numbers. And so for Andre to get in now before it starts, he's Andre's like 10th or 11th in all the important stats, catches, total yards, touchdowns. He's a little further down the list because he was on some bad offenses. And when they were good, he was on a team with Arian Foster, who once you got inside the 10, you just give the ball to Arian Foster once or twice and you're in the end zone. So Andre's in that top 10 range for a lot of the important stats. That's going to change as some of these guys continue to climb the charts. So I'm glad Andre got in before it starts to get super crowded. That may be something where Reggie Wayne and Tory Holt, where they, you know, it's like they're in the garbage compactor in Star Wars, and they're going to start to get like crunched in now because of all these receivers. Andre already escaped the garbage compactor. He's on, he's going back to Yavin to plan on destroying the Death Star, is what he's doing. That's for you nerds out there, Star Wars nerds, of which I'm one. Um, so I'm glad he got in before all the wide receivers. The other thing I'm glad about with Andre Johnson getting into the Hall of Fame, other than the sheer fact he got in, is I don't know if I would have been able to exist in a world where we are debating the merits of Andre Johnson versus Eli Manning. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I, the Eli Manning Hall of Fame candidacy is already going to be the death of me. That Eli had two good postseasons and this is it. He gets to get into the Hall of Fame because he was, in my opinion, a below average quarterback throughout most of his career. The burden of proof is on you if you think he wasn't because the numbers dictate that he was. They didn't win a ton of playoff games. Other, than, I don't know if he won any other than those two playoff runs that they had to the Super Bowl. And I get it. They were two Super Bowl runs against Tom Brady. Good for him. But I like to look at the body of work, um, which includes the regular season. And to put Eli Manning in would just be completely ignoring a decade and a half of largely mediocre regular season play, a few good seasons mixed in. Eli was never considered one of the top eight quarterbacks in the league, I don't think. If you're never considered one of the top eight quarterbacks in the league at the given time that you're in the league, you're not a Hall of Famer. So I'm already going to be really frustrated with the Eli Manning Hall of Fame debate because I think it doesn't have merit, and I'm, I'm fear he gets in. Um, but if Andre Johnson were having to be compared to Eli Manning, I might have had to find the voters wherever they are and um, give them a strongly worded letter. I don't want to do anything violent on the podcast here or say that I would beat them up or anything like that. Uh, cause I don't need that proof out there, but I would send them a strongly worded letter for sure. Kind of like I would send to an HOA 
uh, or a restaurant that poisoned me with food. All right, so that's Andre. The other thing from Vegas in Radio Row, um, C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud was the star of Radio Row. If you if you were on social media and you're looking, you're like, it seems like he did every big national podcast. It's because he did every big national podcast. And the best part about C.J., I think that's so refreshing for people, is that when he sits down to do these interviews, he's not giving canned answers. You know, Zach Gelb asked him, are you a top five quarterback? And he says, yeah. And Zach follows up with, who do you think the top five is? And CJ starts listing them like he's on first take or something like that. Um, he sits down and he diagrams plays with guys. He takes them through film on their podcasts. He, he, he listed what his first team all pro would look like when he was on with Micah Parsons. Like he was just, he was a breath of fresh air. He was the star of Radio Row. I like it. I, my guess is there would be teams out there that cringe at their rookie quarterbacks saying they're a top five quarterback or, you know, they there's a lot worse things that rookies could say on radio row than, than showing how confident they are in what might be a factual statement about him being a top five quarterback. Um, I like that he got that level of attention. I know some may not. Uh, I feel like he may be unintentionally putting pressure on himself here in year two, because this will be, this will be the last year that CJ Stroud will be able to go 10 and seven, get knocked out in the divisional round in a blowout and then be the star of Radio Row. Like he's he's riding the wave right now because the Texans have overachieved expectations. He overachieved expectations. I don't think anybody expected him to have the greatest rookie season in the history of the sport. I if you told me before the year he'd be rookie of the year, that would not have surprised me. If you told me before the year he'd be doing things that only Joe Montana and Tom Brady have done, like lead the league in passing yards per game and touchdown to interception ratio, Brady and Montana the only other two to have ever done that in a single year then that would have surprised me. So I like it. You know, look, it's not like if, if they go 10 and seven and get knocked out in the divisional round next year, CJ can't show his face, but he is the beneficiary and he's the one, he's the big reason why, but in turn, the beneficiary of the Texans overachieving this year, it was great to see. I mean, it, look, if you're a Texan fan who spent the last couple of years rooting for a team with Davis Mills at quarterback and David Culley is the head coach and now you're you're there and you're in Vegas. You're either a fan of the Texans wearing your gear, wearing it proud, or you're covering the team like I do. And you're watching your quarterback just get escorted around Radio Row like he's the president or something like that. It's it's really really cool. All right, so that's those are my those are my final Vegas thoughts as I take a sip of my tumbler here. It's the only downside to not having a co-host. You guys are going to have to listen to me sip my uh, my Zevia. Zero, zero sugar, zero calories, Zevi. I don't even do live reads for them. They're just really tasty. <clears throat> All right. So Kansas City has won the Super Bowl. And um, I'm sure by the time you're listening to this, you've, you've listened to a jillion podcasts and read a thousand articles about the Super Bowl itself. I, I may have a mailbag. I haven't totally scoured the mailbag questions to see if there's any Super Bowl stuff in there. The only things I want to touch on here when it comes to the effects of the Kansas city win is the effect on the Houston Texans. And for those who don't know the Texans next season play at Kansas city. We don't know when the schedule will get released in May. This might be the schedule release that I've most looked forward to in my time covering the team, because there are some distinct mega road game possibilities on the Texans schedule based on who their opponents are. For those who don't know, the Texans road opponents next year 
are the three divisional teams, Tennessee, Indianapolis, and the Jacksonville Jaguars, two AFC East teams, the Jets and the Patriots, two NFC North teams, the Packers and the Vikings, and then they're two of their variable games, you know, games where they match up against other divisions champions because the Texans are division champions at Kansas City at Dallas. Okay, so let's start with Kansas City. Because they won the Super Bowl, they host the season opener this year, just like they did this past year. They won the Super Bowl last year. If you remember, they hosted the Lions at home on Thursday night to open the season, and the Lions got the win. No Travis Kelsey in that game. Lions got the win in that game in a, in a I would say, a mild upset, as it turns out, right? The Lions ended up being a pretty good team this year. Um, <clears throat> so Kansas City is going to host the opener again. I would say I looked at Kansas City's opponents at Arrowhead Stadium this year. They've got eight of them. I would say there's four that you can just write off immediately and say, okay, there's no way that the league schedules this as their opener. And I think it's Denver, who's going to be breaking in a quarterback. Las Vegas, who's probably going to be breaking in a quarterback as well. New Orleans and Tampa Bay, where they're just mediocre teams where there's no interest. I know Tampa Bay. Sorry, James, I know you're backstage. But Tampa Bay, and we'll see what they are next year. Nine and eight. You know, they were nine and eight this year. James, James, my my soon-to-be former producer, um, is a big Tampa Bay fan. So I that that's a really mean thing for me to do on the on the way out here. Um as uh as we wind down. Sorry, James. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to call Tampa Bay mediocre, but they're mediocre. Um, so I think you can write off those four. The four teams that I think are in the mix to be the Kansas City Chiefs opponent in week one. I think I'll count them down in the order I would put them in. Ironically, the one that I have listed fourth is the one that the odds makers think is going to be their opponent because there are odds out on this. Um, I put the Chargers at four. And I, that, I think if you're putting them first or above four, it's solely based on Jim Harbaugh and the Harbaugh debut. And to be honest, I can see the league doing that. I can see the league making Andy Reid in Kansas City <clears throat> facing Jim Harbaugh and Justin Herbert. Because I think you got to have a quarterback in this game where the, they can live up to the marquee status. The Chargers, <clears throat> bad as they were as a team last year, they've got a they've got a quarterback who who I think is above the line of franchise quarterback. So I have them fourth. I have the Texans third. I think it'd be fun. C.J. Stroud and the Texans and D'Amico Ryan's, Will Anderson, Nico Collins going up to Kansas City and facing the Chiefs in the opener. I think would be tremendous theater. Um, the Texans, if, if you're getting a little PTSD over what it is I'm saying, it's because the Texans back in 2020 faced the Chiefs in the season opener after the Chiefs had won their first Super Bowl of the Andy Reid era. And they proceeded to go up there, the Texans, and get whomped. And they got whomped three more weeks in a row. And by early October, yada, 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 Bill O'Brien is fired. So um, it's crazy to think that that's just four years ago. Think about like if the Texans do open against the Chiefs in October – Four years is not that long a time. Think about how much futility, mediocrity, misery was jammed into those four years if you're a Texan fan. My God, we all deserve some kind of stipend. Things are better now. You know what we deserve? We deserve what we have now, which is C.J. Stroud, D'Amico Ryans, ownership making good decisions. Casario is the GM. We deserve it, by God. Cincinnati, I have two on this list of teams that could play the Chiefs. There's already, I know Cincinnati was not a playoff team this year, but this will be Joe Burrow's return back to full health, presumably, unless he gets hurt in the preseason. Distinct possibility. Um, 
But Cincinnati and Kansas City have a little thing going. Remember when they called it the Bengals called it Burrowhead Stadium because Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow's beaten Pat Mahomes. He's three and one against him in his career. Um, hang on, my headphones fell out here real quick. There we go. My headphones fell out. I need to be able to hear myself. Um, so I have Cincinnati number two, and then I have Baltimore number one. Rematch of the AFC title game, regular season MVP versus Super Bowl MVP. That's a pretty easy one in my opinion. Um, the league doesn't always do the one that's easy, though. I don't think Detroit was the best of the best opponents maybe available as far as theater goes to the Chiefs last year. Um, but they made the, the Lions the week one opponent. So we'll see. I think the Texans got a good sporting shot. Now, real quick, and then we'll get to the mailbag. If the Texans don't play at Kansas City in the opener, even if they do, there's some other pretty cool possibilities on the schedule. They have a road game against Dallas, the Texans do. I could see that being a Thanksgiving Day game. Two of their road opponents this year, Minnesota and Jacksonville, are hosting London games this year. I could definitely see one of those two games um, have the Texans involved. Texans have played Jacksonville in London before, back in 2019. So that wouldn't be a first for them to go there fairly recently, 2019. So there's when the schedule comes out, and then just throw, throw on top of that the fact that, unlike this past season, where literally every game until week 18 was a Sunday noon kick, like literally every game was a Sunday noon kick. It's going to be so different this year. I think independent of all the Thanksgiving and opening night and London and this and that, I think the Texans are one of those teams that's going to get at least two or three primetime games because I think they're super intriguing and they've got a good young quarterback and they score points. Um, At least two or three. I'll throw in too that some three of their road games are New England, the Jets, and the Green Bay Packers. And... Those are three potentially super cold weather games if they happen anytime after, say, the beginning of November. So definite step up in weight class as far as the schedule goes for the Houston Texans. All right, let's get to the mailbag. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. Um, I've got a few questions in here from you guys, and we'll, we'll, we'll rattle through these. Um, let's see. Dave Howard, Dave in Round Rock, he is emailing in. Um, big fan of John McClain, has some nice things to say about John. Does say Dave that Dave says, I'll soldier on you guys together on the air and on Utopia have been must listen for me. Thank you, Dave. Um, here's the question I'm seeing folks on X debating the draft and the O line for the Texans. I say the combination of rookies, injuries, and players playing out of position was the major cause of the less than perfect performance of the line. I'm in favor of sticking with what we have moving forward, health presumed. Others want draft choices and free agents. What say you? My feeling on the offensive line is that the Texans are fairly committed to what they have. If they improve, it's probably going to have to come from within. You know, the improvement is probably going to have to come from the veteran guys now being in this system for a year. Now, admittedly, this system is not the easiest one to pick up for quarterbacks, the line, everybody. It's a fairly complex system. So I think the injuries were a part of it. It's hard to imagine an offensive line this coming season going through as much injury-wise as the Texans did this year. Um, so I think Titus Howard didn't, Titus Howard signed a contract extension to play right tackle. He didn't play a single snap at right tackle. He broke his hand in the preseason, played left guard poorly, and then tore his ACL. So I, I think I agree with the injury stuff. The rookies, I, like, I don't know how much them having a couple of rookies, Jared Patterson early in the year and Juice Scruggs from about midway through on was a big problem. I, you know, they, both of them had typical rookie trouble, 
Um, but I, I don't think I don't look at the underperformance of the line except for maybe a, a few key junctures in games. Like Drew Scruggs really struggled against the Jets. I mean, Drew Scruggs is the one who gave up the hit that knocked CJ Stroud out with a concussion. I think the improvement's going to have to come from within. Casario, Nick Casario gave Titus Howard, Laramie Tunsil, and Shaq Mason three to four year extensions last year. So he's not moving off of any of those guys. They spent a second round pick on Juice Scruggs, who I thought played fine. They found something in Jared Patterson in the sixth round as a center or a guard. So he's in the mix. And then we don't know what Kenyon Green is, the first round pick from 2022, who spent the entire season on injured reserve, hopefully getting in shape and getting ready to play football at a high level. So They've got a lot of bodies. They've got a lot of money invested, a lot of draft capital invested. So when you say um, that people want draft choices and free agents, what say you? I don't think I, I could see them signing and drafting some offensive linemen, but not with the premium free agent money and not with the premium draft capital. That's my feeling on that. All right, next one's from Cody. At the end of the Super Bowl game, Jim Nance said, we need to officially recognize KC as a dynasty. Reed and Mahomes seem to be an unbreakable coaching QB team that may not have yet peaked. If the Chiefs make it back to the AFC Championship game next year and the Texans are playing them in that game, what is it the Texans will need to have done this offseason that gets them the victory over the Chiefs? Thank you, gentlemen. Cody from McMahon, Texas. Um, I well, First of all, let me say, I think they've peaked. I think they're in their peak right now. Like I, I know I read some articles about Kansas City where they've got money to spend and they can make some improvements to the roster. As long as you got Mahomes, Kelsey, and Andy Reid, you're in your peak. This has maybe been not as great a version of the Chiefs as we've seen in some more dominant years offensively. But defensively, this is the most dominant they've been. So I think if we're just taking dominance as this cumulative thing, I think this is as dominant a Chiefs team as we maybe have seen in, in some of the recent years where they've also won Super Bowls. Um, so I so I think that, that's what I think about where they are in sort of their arc. They're the best team in football right now. Um, certainly in the type of ecosystem that is the postseason they are. As far as what the Texans need to do, they got to fix the running game. That's the biggest thing. I've been saying that all year. Um, I think you, if you watch the Super Bowl, look, the Chiefs the Chiefs were playing a team that the Texans modeled themselves after in that game. They're playing the San Francisco 49ers. The Texans are trying to be a version of the 49ers. Bobby Slowick's their OC. D'Amico Ryans is their head coach. They both came from the Kyle Shanahan tree. When the Niners were experiencing success in that game, it was the – it was the run game and the short passing game that was clicking. They got to fix that. They got to find a way to fix it. And they're going to have to find a way to do it on the offensive line, I think, with guys that they have. Now, I think the most, to me, the key position this offseason in free agency and in the draft, one of them at least, is running back. I think they're going to need to blow up that room maybe and start over. I don't know that Damian Pierce is ever going to be a fit for what they're trying to do here. I, I just don't know that his style of running, I don't know if that's something that you can adapt and change. He's just such a poor fit as it turns out, for what they're trying to do at the running back position with that one cut and go kind of scheme. So I think they need new running backs, fix the run game, and that'll give them a chance. You know, being able to run the football, keep Pat Mahomes on the sideline, that kind of thing. Um, if they have to go to Kansas City to play a game, the running game certainly travels better than a passing game. I think we saw that in the Baltimore game, you know, where they couldn't really do anything. So I think that's what they need to do. But that if if all is right in the world, that's the plane the Texans are looking to get on this year is, okay, maybe not the favorite in the AFC, but are they like maybe like Cincinnati in 2021 where they're one of the teams that could that could knock off uh, the Kansas City Chiefs like the Bengals did that year. All right, Charles Honeycutt, loyal emailer to the show. Congrats to Andre Johnson for making the Hall of Fame. I noticed he was able to beat out Reggie Wayne and Torrey Holt. 
I guess John's pitch, John McClain's pitch, and Texans' current success really sold the voters. Um, I would put that 99% on John McClain and 1% on the current Texans' success. I've seen a few people have that theory that because the Texans have become relevant again and their current version is good, you know, they're good at football again, that uh, that that's what catapulted Andre over the top. I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, there's plenty of guys that get into the Hall of Fame each year whose current franchises are trash. Um, so I, yeah, I really, look, Julius Peppers got in and he was a Carolina Panther, you know, and he was probably maybe a little apples and oranges. Peppers, I think was perceived to be a first ballot hall of famer. Um, whereas Andre obviously was not, he's a third ballot hall of famer, but I don't think it's an interesting theory, Charles, but I I don't think the Texans current success really had anything to do with Andre getting in. I think honestly to, to, to think that would be disrespectful to Andre right? That, that the current team has to be doing anything that impacts what voters think of Andre Johnson is disrespectful to Andre Johnson. All right, Joe Q, another frequent emailer, frequent emailer to the podcast. And he gives me a lot of good data and information too, but I'm just going to keep this one simple. He said a simple question for the mailbag. If Nick Casario, I love this question. I'm going to bring this on to Payne and Pendergast too, Joe, just so you know. Um, if Nick Casario could earn an A plus in either the draft or free agency, which would you prefer? And Joe goes on to say, I think the answer is free agency, given the cap space and the two year window before Stroud starts eating up the salary cap. I'm with you. I think it's free agency. And I just, I, I, I try to look at, I think the Texans are now inside a window where they can compete to get to a Super Bowl. It's crazy to think, and it's only been one year since they were the second worst team in football. But I think they're there. The quarterback is there. The piece, the the pieces, obviously the pieces to get to the playoffs and win a playoff game are there. They were one of the final eight teams this year, and deservedly so. I'm trying to envision what an A plus for each of those things looks like. I think an A plus in the draft for the Texans. And let's assume that let's assume that the draft is an A plus and whatever the other thing is, you know, that the, the free agency is just, you know, average, whatever. An A plus in the draft means that you you're probably kind of an even friskier team. You're a better team, but you don't maybe maybe you're still lacking in that high level experience to make a deep run into the postseason. Because even I'll use that Bengals team again. That Bengals team with Joe Burrow in his second year largely got to the Super Bowl because Burrow was excellent and they crushed it in free agency. That was when they had signed. DJ Reader and Trey Hendrickson and Mike Hilton and some other guys on either side of the ball. So they they crushed free agency. Very unbengal like them spending all that money, but they did. If the Texans do an A-plus in free agency in bringing in guys, veteran guys, think of what an A-plus in free agency looks like. That's the type of thing that gets you to a Super Bowl. You know, an A-plus in the draft means that you could still get to a Super Bowl, obviously. I think with C.J. Stroud, anything is possible. But if you get an A-plus in free agency with what's already in place, um, I, I think you you get onto the shortlist. You get yourself into the mix. And I, want, I just want to get into the mix faster because we're here now. we got to take advantage of this window with before C.J. Stroud starts making $65 million a year. It's a great question, Joe. Um, and appreciate all the backup information that you've got for it, too. I just printed it out. It's Joe's the man. All right, um, let's go. I got two more. Milton in Huntsville. 
Sean, I heard you say on 610 that NFL honors night last week was the best night in the history of the franchise. See, I knew this would come back. I agree with you. Okay. But what else is in contention? I would say the, okay, I'm just, I'm spitballing. This is not in any particular order. Um, I would say that the, the, the night that CJ Stroud and Will Anderson were drafted is, is on the list. They're almost a prologue to this past Thursday being the best night. But I would say that night for sure, that was a crazy night. That was, that was an unforgettable night. Being at the draft, the draft party when those two guys were picked back-to-back was one of the most exhilarating things I've experienced as a sports fan. I know it's the draft. It's not a game. But you have to understand, and I know if you listen to this podcast, you probably do, what the previous two or three years were like. Um, I would say that the Cleveland game this year, the playoff game, was definitely up there on the list. I'm kind of going chronologically backwards in my head. Um, I would say that from this season, the Tampa Bay game, uh, where CJ Stroud threw for 470 yards, James, I swear I'm not trolling you. It was that that was the game where CJ Stroud kind of announced his presence with authority and that he generated that tank Dell touchdown at the end of that game. And then there's going backwards. There's three years of nothing. Um, I would say the night that they beat the Cowboys in overtime was a cool night in 2018. Certainly the day they beat the Cowboys in the inaugural game for the team, the day the city got the team back in 2000 or whatever it was, those are all on the list. Um, And there's probably a few games along the way, playoff games, the first playoff game ever, you know, with J.J. Watt had the pick six. That was pretty cool. I just can't remember a night, and maybe it's recency bias, where I felt more exhilaration being a Texan fan than watching Andre Johnson being presented for the Hall of Fame and watching the master blueprint that's been put together for success moving forward get validated with Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year awards. You know, that that's kind of where I'm at with it. All right, last one. Gerard P. says, there's no doubt that the Texans' 2023 season was a smashing success. If they go 10-7 and seven and win the division again next season, would it be considered a smashing success again? Or if not, what's the floor for 2024 to be considered a smashing success? Um, would I sign up for 10 and seven and losing in the divisional round this season right now? I, looking at the schedule and you know what? No, I wouldn't. I don't, yeah, that's, that's really kind of pussy ish to say, yes, I would. No, I wouldn't. They, 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 there needs to be improvement. Um, the schedule's much, much harder this year. Um, so I think it's, I think it's, I honestly think it's possible that the Texans could go nine and eight this year and actually be a better team than they were in in 2023, uh, you know, the, I would say the third best court, they, they played Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow this year. I think those are the two best quarterbacks they played. And then I think there's a debate whether the third best one is Trevor Lawrence, Baker Mayfield, or Joe Flacco, right? That we're debating over those three as the third best quarterback on your schedule, I think is indicative of the ease of the schedule. It was not a hard schedule. Next year, they play, the Texans do, they play, well, let me back up. C.J. Stroud was the fifth quarterback on the Pro Bowl squad this year. The three starters, he was the second alternate, so fifth overall. The Texans play all four quarterbacks that were ahead of C.J. Stroud for the 2024 Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl, it was like two weeks ago. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, and Tua are all on the schedule. Dak Prescott's on the schedule. Aaron Rodgers is on the schedule. Jared Goff is on the schedule. Two Trevor Lawrence games uh, are are on the schedule. Um, 
So, hey, Caleb Williams might be on the schedule if the Bears decide to to draft him. Uh, Jordan Love is on the schedule in Green Bay. So it's it's a much harder schedule. So that's why I say they could go 9-8 and eight next year and be a better team. But we're saying smashing success. To me, a, the floor for it being a smashing success to where we are celebrating the way we celebrated, even after they lost to Baltimore 34-10, to 10, we celebrated. I think they've got to finally get to the conference title game for it to be something that we are truly celebrating, meet the team at the stadium kind of thing. Um, it's got to be that. All right, so there you go. That's my answer on that one. Good questions this week, guys. Good job in the mailbag. All right, uh, so I'm done. I'm out of time. Um, we'll be back on Thursday with another episode. Still formulating plans for the pod going forward. I always appreciate the feedback. Maybe you're enjoying just me sitting here in my kitchen with the skyline in the background, just sitting here rapping about Texans football. Um, but keep sending those mailbag questions in. Um, keep uh, keep hitting me up on social media as well. You can get me on Twitter, as you can see right there on the page, at Sean T. Pendergast. You can get Payne and Pendergast and this podcast on the Odyssey app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button on either of them or both of them, and have that podcast delivered to you. So I want to thank James Jackson, who's been the producer of this podcast from inception. Um, he is He's moving on to other podcasts. Um, he's you know still doing company stuff, but moving on to other stuff, so happy for him. Um, and then Anthony Irwin is my new producer, and he is uh, he's going to be producing this moving forward and looking forward to him being a part of that and uh, preemptively thanking him for all of the uh, having to deal with me in the future. I'm going to get all my thanks out of the way early, Anthony, and thank you now for having to deal with me uh, moving forward. So there you go. Uh, so for Anthony and James, I'm Sean. We're out of time. We will see all of you uh, on Thursday for the next episode of the Utopia Football Podcast.